Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tana Grace, that's Ross Merriam, and both of us are extremely apologetic for the long wait for a new episode. We're so sorry. All we can do, though, is ask for your forgiveness. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, the, our schedules get in the way, and we've both been very busy the last couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> a lot of traveling so. on both sides. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, some more inconvenienced traveling <laughs> oh well we're gonna talk about that don't worry yeah. about it you're, you're gonna hear about my travel woes yeah. but i've been i, I have not heard countries. any of this story by the yeah. way so if you're listening at home i'm fine i'm gonna find this out with at the same time as you, uh, you will or yeah you know, i've been of. saving this uh for uh, everybody at home it's uh three o'clock in the afternoon on a tuesday uh that is the sixth just in case some stuff happens in between this and our next episode which we're planning on recording this week as well so you're gonna try we're gonna try to double up on y'all Brent, don't kill us. We're really, really sorry. <laughs> I sent him a text warning him this morning, and he was like, ugh. But what we're going to try to do is catch everybody up on this episode on what everything's been going on. You know, my travels, your two tournament finishes that were quite uh, <clears throat> quite good, I might say. What, is, what does high score mean? Uh, <laughs> at home, you don't know what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll get to that. Ross has done pretty well at his last two events. And... So we'll, we'll cover all that stuff. You know, we'll be talking a little bit about, you know, Magic. Uh, I know you want to talk about the Utah Jazz as well, but... Uh, the next episode is going to be the one that we normally have whenever a new set comes out, where we're going to do our top eights, cards to watch, etc., etc. I already have a, a least favorite card in the set, by the way, Ross, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to to do that episode. So, Already have a least favorite card, okay. Yeah, so I've played a decent bit of limited, and I've practically conceded on the spot every time it's been cast. <laughs> it's a black card, but probably not the one you think. Okay, okay. I'll it's not, it's not a mythic, so... Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's let's get right into it. Uh, I guess we could start off with the non-magic stuff, like as as per usual. I know there's there's been a the, lot going the most on. important thing that happened in my life over the last two weeks. I, I, just wow. Okay, um, <laughs> for everybody who knows, Ross is a very very big Utah Jazz fan, and that is about to be very painful for the next few years. They're saying that the goal is to only tank for the one year. We'll see how that they, goes. They always say that, but it's always three or four. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, you know the the talks have been going on forever with uh, Donovan Mitchell be, supposedly being traded to the Knicks, and uh, you know I think it was last Monday. Uh, apparently, the Knicks gave the Jazz a deadline, or they were going to extend R.J. Barrett. One of the major young pieces that New York was, you know, rumored to have been off dangling uh, in the trade, and that they did, they signed Barrett to an extension. Which honestly, like there had also been, there have been so many conflicting reports over the last month of you know what is happening and what the teams want and what the teams are willing to give up, and uh, so who knows what actually happened. But after that, it seemed like it was going to be a little bit harder, but not impossible for Donovan Mitchell to be dealt to New York, and. The funny thing about this whole thing to me is that the Knicks fans have been acting like they are the only one that could possibly trade for Donovan. This kind of reminds me of like the Freddie Freeman Atlanta stuff that went back and forth. Like, yeah. you know, like we have all the leverage. Here's our deadline. And then like, honestly, I I don't I don't think the Knicks should be happy with keeping RJ Barrett either. But anyway, yeah. Continue. So the Knicks fans that they thought they had all the leverage the entire time, they're like, you know, there's no way you can trade him anywhere else. And then three days after that, they just trade Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland. I, I and, remember when this happened, Ross just tweeted to me, LOL, Knicks. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, uh, they 
the I, I you know immediately waited to get the full details of the trade. It's Colin Sexton, who was a young guard from Cleveland that they didn't really want to extend uh, as part of the deal. He signed a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal with uh, or extension with, with Utah, which I think is a, a very good number for comparison. Barrett signed four years, one hundred twenty million, um, and you know Sexton is not that much worse than R.J. Barrett. He's significantly worse defensively, but offensively they're pretty comparable. Uh, Laurie Markkinen, who's still young. Uh, and it is a reasonable rotation piece. And the Cleveland's first round pick from this past draft, uh, Ochai Abaji, who is on the uh, title winning team in Kansas uh, in the spring. Uh, great shooter, apparently, supposedly a good 3 and D guard prospect. But he was the 14th pick, which is a lottery pick. Um, and then they got three unprotected first round picks, which is supposedly the hang up from New York. New York only wanted to give up two unprotected picks um, and then two pick swaps. The important part, though, is that the picks are in 25, 27, and 29, and Donovan Mitchell's contract is up at the end of 2025. Technically, it's a, it's a player option for the next season, but he could decline that option and enter free agency in 2025. So those 27 and 29 picks, and the swaps are in 26 and 28, could end up being quite valuable if Mitchell decides, oh, I want to go play in New York. Yeah, and like that's kind of like um, you know, you and I talked a lot about this when the Anthony Davis trade happened. How we got a bunch of future picks, you know, not even right away, future picks from LA, yeah. and everybody's like, "Man, this sucks. We didn't get anything like right away other than Ingram." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. This is this is what you wanted because yeah. like, LeBron's going to be gone. Like, and then like if, even if it's just AD, they're not going to have anything else, and they're gonna they're probably going to tank or whatever. We're going to get good picks out of this. Yeah, like, you want you want the picks to be when the team c- could potentially be bad and. Yeah. The immediate reaction is the Knicks organization and all their fans trying to save face, saying we didn't want Donovan Mitchell. Oh, yeah, yeah, you we know, didn't want him, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were happy to keep Barrett, you wanted yeah. too much, and laughing that, like, you know, uh, Utah took a lesser offer just to spite New York, which is a ridiculous thing to even claim. I think the offer, I think the offer was pretty good, actually. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the, the claim is that, oh, the Knicks picks are going to be better than Cleveland's picks because Cleveland now has four all-star caliber players uh, who are very young and under contract. Donovan Mitchell, uh, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Like, they're going to be a very good team. They will be, you know, one, I think they're going to be top four in the East. I still can't believe they got Jared Allen from New Jersey. Yeah, in that in the, as that, part that, of the, yeah, the James Harden nonsense. That, that was ridiculous. That deal blew my mind. Yeah. Like, um, and, that, and that's that, true. That's they have those builder. guys. But, like, yeah. you just never know what's going to happen three years from now. Mm-hmm. And if something goes wrong, Cleveland is not a franchise that attracts free agents. So, yeah. I mean, like, uh, you guys are sort of in the same boat. I mean, oh, yeah. you also there's only like not... five franchises in the NBA that are free agency destinations. True. Also, you you guys might not be done either. You know, you still have Conley oh, and some other stuff to get rid of, and some yeah, other Conley, assets. Boyan, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gay. Yeah, those four guys yeah. are all likely to be moved, and they're shopping them. I'm sure. Today, yeah. today is actually the day we're recording. Is the first day that the players they got in the Minnesota deal for Rudy Gobert can be aggregated into other trades. Yeah, it was very unlikely to make a deal over the weekend. Now that those people can be included, it's much more likely. So we should see some movement in the next couple weeks. But the point is that, you know, the the claim from the Knicks, you know, front office that thought their offer was better is that like their picks were going to be better. But the Knicks picks that they were offering were all, you know, picks that are coming up soon, 2023, 2025. Uh, and 
those are going to be worse. Let, the Utah- well, let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. Any Knicks picks are fine. They're, they're <laughs> well, you know, once they have Donovan Mitchell, they should be a playoff team. They're going to be yeah. probably like late teens, early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the, these Cleveland picks certainly have a higher potential to be you know top fifteen, top ten kind of picks, and that's what Utah wanted. They want they wanted the highest probability of landing premium assets, and the, the Knicks were unwilling to do that. Cleveland was so you know they made the deal. Knicks didn't have any leverage. So I found that part of it hilarious. I'm going to find it hilarious when LeBron wants back in Cleveland next year. Yeah, yeah. I, I also find it hilarious that the Utah Jazz roster is just completely different this year. Like, you just look at the litany of names they have now. You're going to have 10 different players yeah. from last year. It might, and, and honestly, if the four guys I just named are also gone, it's an entirely new roster. Those are, yeah. the, only, those are the only four guys that played 500-plus minutes last year that are still on the roster. And they're yeah. all being shopped. Probably, right now. probably half of them won't make it to the to opening. Yeah, what is, what's, it, what's it called? Just opening day, whatever the sure. first. Yeah, opening night. Opening night, yeah, because it's called opening day in baseball. I don't know yeah. what the first, it, you know. So it's, uh, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, if this had just come out of the blue, I would have been much more beat up about it. But I yeah. expected Mitchell to get traded at this point. Um, you know, unfortunate that it came to this. Uh, but that you know that was just the reality of the situation. The Jazz had kind of painted themselves into a corner. They went all in. It didn't really work. So yeah. now they blow it up, get the assets that went late while they can, and hopefully rebuild quickly. Um, but on a, like, I, I wish they were just you know going in with a really good team, and I could hope for you know fifty plus win season and competitive in the playoffs. But this season is still going to be kind of fun. No expectations. Every game is just going to be like I hope our young guys do well. We'll see Colin Sexton. Hopefully, you know blossom into something yeah you get to watch these kids develop there's something liberating about being like there's no expectations hopefully the yeah. team is like you just see growth right the, the, the one thing about last year is the weight of the expectations made the season not fun when they failed to live up to them and it was just miserable like the the first half of the season was fine the second half of the season was absolutely as soon miserable. as anything went wrong yeah yeah, yeah. and it just all it just all fell apart the, so I, I kind of like going into this season with no expectations and getting that weight off of my shoulders as a fan. It's, I know it's kind of ridiculous for me to be saying things like this, but just bear with me. No, I'm no, not, I mean, I'm not a sane person. No, I, I 100% get this. Like, you know, I went through this about what year is it right now? 2022. I went. I, yes, I did just ask that question. I went through this myself about six or seven years ago. And uh, I'll, I'll mention somebody, this, a guy named Jake. It's my best friend. He's a muggle. He doesn't play magic or anything, but he's my best friend. He lives down the street from me. I've known him since, like, seventh grade. I've known his wife since, like, second grade. I'm the godfather to their first to their first child. You get what I'm saying? Like, we're, yeah. we're very good friends, right? He's a big Braves fan, and <clears throat> he knows, like, how much I'm in tune with the team. And so we had just come off, like, our third playoff appearance in a row where we just gotten kind of beat up in the first round, you know, didn't make it out, weren't, weren't winning any series. And he's like, so, you know, like, what are we going to do this year? Like, what's the what's the plan? What are they going to go after? Because every year it's like, oh, if we get, like, one more good starting pitcher, or we get, like, you know, we get shore up second base, like, whatever it is. And I remember just looking at him in all seriousness, and I said, I hope they blow it up. And he's like, what? Do you, what? And I was like, yeah, like, here's the thing. We've made the playoffs three years in a row, but we're, like, slightly above mediocrity with a team that is flawed in multiple ways. A lot of contracts are coming up. Our young talent is not the level that you need it to be. And what you can do is, is like, the, the big thing is is here, and I'm sure this is kind of what you were getting at, is you don't want your franchise to be stuck in the middle. 
You don't want them to half-ass yeah. something where they like trade Donovan Mitchell or just trade Rudy Gobert, don't get any immediate assets back, and then be like, all right, we're still going to try to compete when you're significantly worse than the year you were before. So if you're going to tank, tank. Like if you're going to lose, lose. You know what I mean? Acquire a bunch of future assets. Like, you know, do what the Pelicans did. Do it, you know, Utah, do, do what, you know, Phoenix did. Do what a lot of these teams do that like, you know, they can't hold on their talent. Atlanta did the same thing. And like, hey, our results were more than I could have possibly imagined for. They turned it around very quickly and won a championship and now probably have the best core, one of the best cores I've ever seen in the game, but definitely the best core today. And like, you're just hoping for something similar in Utah, right? Like, let's let's make a perennial team instead of something that, you know, was had flashes the last few years, but didn't work out. Yeah, um, that's essentially, you know. So everybody putting words in your mouth, on. but like, I think it's important to like, understand what you want from your franchise and it sucks from a fan base right like you want your team to win but like you should be realistic with your team it's the ones that are in the middle like the knicks and stuff that just like you know what i mean like you they can't fully go one way or the other and it's like guys just pick a lane and and, and do it or you just be the ones that are just are constantly rebuilding like you could be the browns or something yeah you know, the, or the orlando magic <laughs> or the orlando magic yeah that's a good one uh, and uh, you know the good news is as soon as they hit on a draft pick and have one piece, they have the assets to then trade for a second, right? With all the the picks coming in 2027 and 2029, um, you know, so it's not like they have to wait till they hit on two foundational pieces to have a competitive team. They just need one hit. And the earlier it comes, the more options that they have. Uh, And, you know, if it takes a couple of years, you know, so be it. And a lot of the guys that they've gotten back in these trades, I think, are good supporting pieces, and they're still young enough to be able to be on a timeline with somebody that you draft in the next one, two, or three years. Um, so you've got a lot of good supporting pieces around it, around them, them too. It's really just about finding that first, you know, generational piece. And eight years ago, they found it, or, or nine years ago, they found it in in Gobert. And, and with the 27th pick of the draft that nobody expected and ended up, you know, building around him uh, for the for the last eight years. So it's just a question of, you know, when they hit, they've hit on some good draft picks. You know, Donovan Mitchell got taken 13th, Gobert 27th, Gordon Hayward was taken 9th. So it's still a lottery pick, but late lottery, um, you know, uh, Darren Williams, they traded up to get. He was he was a super high pick. Um, they really haven't picked very highly recently but like that's their foundational pieces for the last for the the entirety of the post stockton malone era so and both stockton and malone were late lottery picks too they were taken like 12th and 14th uh but obviously like the 1984 organization has basically no bearing on the one now <laughs> mm-hmm. no 100 uh, so i i've essentially made my piece with it and I was, you know, less sad that Donovan Mitchell was leaving because I had, you know, had already knew that, essentially expected that to happen, and more just, you know, laughing at poor Knicks fans. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because you could always kind of. It, it... All right, I'm gonna stop making fun of them. I was gonna say more. I was gonna dig in more, but let's not. Um, on a TCG note, on us talking about, you know, what we're supposed to talk about here on the show. Uh, yeah, I had quite the eventful trip to uh, the Fab Pro Tour and back. The actual Pro Tour itself, great. Nothing to really report there. Did my coverage, came home. The trip there was, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you were, you were flying from uh, New Orleans? No, I actually flew out of Baton Rouge. But flew out of Baton Rouge? Because I, I flew from, so I took two planes 
an hour long subway and two trains to get where I was going. So, so you, I, so you, were you flying straight? You don't, you weren't flying straight from Baton Rouge to London, no, I right? Said I, t- I said I took two planes. So I had to take, a, I took a plane from Baton Rouge to Dallas to meet to up Dallas. with a friend okay. that we were we were traveling together, and uh, we got delayed on the tarmac. We just like sat there for thirty or forty minutes. So I almost missed my flight to London because we were flying into London, and. I had to like physically run and like take a train from you know one thing to the next to not miss my flight. Um, get on the plane. The plane ride was great. Uh, you know, a lot of entertaining movies to watch. The food was good. I can't sleep on a plane, but it went by very fast. You know, there's not a lot of people on the plane. I don't know if you've ever flown internationally; they're almost never full. You know, so you yep. can kind of move around and stuff like that. So that was good. We land in Heathrow, uh, in London have to get on the subway you know like when you get on the subway they have like the the map like up on the subway like you're here and then like they have the whole line of like all of the stops so i had to go from like the stop that was like all the way to the left to almost all the way to the right yeah so we just had to sit on this you know we just had to sit there for like forever obviously um and then we go you know we could do like now i have to backtrack a little bit here here's where the trip got interesting so being the dumb Americans that we are, and we don't know how public transit works in other countries because we don't have that kind of infrastructure here, I don't know how trains work. You know, I just assume that, like, you could just, you know, they're like an Uber or whatever. You just get a train. So about five days before we leave, me and the other guy that I'm, I'm traveling with, his name is Dalen, um, we, we just start looking into train tickets, and there just are none. You just can't get a train from London to Lille because we're going to Lille, France. And then we start trying to figure stuff out, and, like, they just don't have tickets. So we find another way to get there. There's a way by bus. The problem is the bus is, like, one of those double-decker buses that's used for travel. It's about an eight-hour drive. And this is after everything else. And it's, like, $120 a person. So I'm like, all right, just book it, and then we'll figure it out if we can't find another way. So we book those. And then um, Dalen's fiancé... It's like, hey, I figured some stuff out. It's a little bit, it's a little roundabout and it's expensive, but it gets you in like way earlier. And I'm like, look, I I don't really care about the price anymore. Like, just make it happen, right? Yeah. So the problem is, she she found she found us train tickets, but we had to take the train from London to Paris first, and then from Paris jump onto another train and go to Lille. Uh, the only tickets they had were first class, so. My ticket from the train, which is a two-hour train from, like, London to Paris, or maybe even, it's probably less than that. I think it was, like, three or $400, right? So it was, like, more than a plane ticket would be, right? And then the worst part is, when you're sitting on the train and you're looking out on, the, like, the French countryside, you know, when you, go, when you get through the channel, you see Lille pass you by as, like, you're going to Paris. And then you have to immediately turn around and go back, you know? And then, thankfully, you know, neither one of us speaks a lick of French, so thankfully, we still found our tra- like. We got so lucky in all of our traveling, so that we never got like delayed by any amount of time because we had like fifteen minutes to make our next train, and we had to like figure out where it was and all that stuff. So we get all that done. Then I get into Lille at like I don't know. So we landed at like six a.m. local time in London. I think we get into Lille at like two in the afternoon or something. So it's like another. So it's like a two-hour flight. A small layover, which ended up being nowhere layover. An eight and a half hour flight, no layover, but an hour long subway ride into a like two and a half hour or two hour train ride into another half hour to forty five minute train ride into 
get into Lille at like 2 p.m. in the middle of the day. So I'm exhausted because I haven't slept, but I need to stay awake. So I have to stay awake for another like five or six hours before I can go to bed and try to beat the, you know, the, the jet lag. So I think eventually I get in bed around like 9, 9.30 p.m. and just pass out and wake up at like 5 in the morning. And I'm just like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> and like I did, I did the trip. Thankfully, we got the direct train back to London and everything. And that was much easier, even if that was like just... Regular old coach was like 200 and something. It was like so ridiculous because we, you know, we didn't know. We just like waited to the last minute and we just got killed on like price and everything. So I'm hoping to get some of it back and then I can write off the rest. But like, you know, it's not one to one when it comes to that. So I ended up paying quite a bit for, for the stuff. So. so you didn't necessarily get like screwed by the airline in any no. way? No, 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 no. I didn't it get screwed by anybody. Forever. It just took forever and like just my mis- like. You know, everybody else was like, yeah, I booked like a month ago for the stuff. And I was just like, yeah, I just didn't even think about it. I didn't think it was going to be a problem. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I was like, it just, it's just something that like, you know, when you, you're not used to it. It's not something you run into all the time. You know, like how often do I take yeah. a train somewhere? Never, you know, like, so I don't know. It's just, it was weird, you know? And like, we even looked it up from London. It was funny. One of the other options that might've been better than the, than the bus was you could get whatever was Uber. It's like ride share or whatever it is. And it's like only four hours or maybe five hours instead of instead of eight or whatever but i was just like i'd have to be in the car with some like you know i, mean? I was just like i i don't know about all this you know it was gonna be kind of and like you have to like probably use the ferry and all of a sudden i was like it's just it was gonna be so much extra work well so it could have been way worse obviously but yeah it just sounds like one of your trips without the i'm gonna burn this motherfucker to the ground and stuff you know, <laughs> and all the bad stuff it's just like here's two different trains here's another subway station here's to, or sorry, the tube, and then here's two more buses, you know, or whatever, or you know, two trains. It just it sounds, it sounds like one of your trips. Or I'm just like, yeah, man, I, I would just get in my car and go, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> well, at least you got there, and the pro tour was yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely fun. Um, it was good, like pretty good overall. Like I'm, I'm not, I have no reason to complain. Um, it's really funny. Almost everybody who listens to this would know who it is that won the the pro tour. Did you see who won the pro tour? I did. Yeah, Matthew Folks, um, very well deserved. Look, I'm, I'm, we're not going to talk about the extra credit stuff here. Yeah. Like, people deserve a second chance. Like, blah blah blah. You know, he's done his time. He's doing what he's supposed to do, or whatever. But uh, all that aside, the guy like broke the game. You know, he went into the lab, put in the time, came out with something that was great. And also, like I've talked about this another thing, the amount of balls it takes to play a deck like he did—that's like pretty untested and show up to a pro tour it's kind of like what i do at my big events where i'm just like i'm trying to hit a home run you know what i mean i'm trying to like have the best deck in the room because if i just have a deck that's like good and try to outplay everybody like it's just not going to happen i'm not the best player in the room you know kind of thing and uh he did both and he won the pro tour so you know good for him but it was a really good weekend overall worked a ton uh you know very good experience i actually gonna be in your neck of the woods here in a couple weeks for u.s nationals you're gonna uh, be in charlotte right yeah, well, wherever. Dude, look, they tell me where to go. I book the stuff, and then I just forget about it. And then, like, I remember a few days before. I'm like, oh, I should probably pack for... You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things, but as much as I have to do... Do you know when it is, exactly? Uh, I can look it up while we're talking about this. I've got that, and I've got um, San Jose later as well, which I need to book for. That's Worlds um, later. But let me look up U.S. Nationals. Give me one second. So... Uh, why do you want to come swing by? I don't think there's any. I don't know if there's any magic stuff, but oh, that would be awesome. Actually, I, I don't have a time after this. I, I've played 
what one two four weekends of events in the last six weeks uh so i've had a pretty busy you know uh month or so and i'm pretty not busy for you know the next two months so it's it's the weekend of the 24th and 25th but our our event starts on friday because it's it's a three-day event you know because it's it's friday saturday is swiss and then sunday is the top eight it's like the the old pro tour there's uh, an energy that weekend that i'm trying to go to but i'm unlikely to because i don't think anyone else from roanoke wants to go yeah uh Uh, i know she doesn't stay for very long but will emma still be in town uh no no she's here for a couple weeks yeah because like uh she and i have just barely missed each other i don't know if you saw that on twitter she like landed she was like in heathrow like an hour after i was and i was like that'd be cool to like walk by just high five each other as like i'm coming in the country and she's leaving whatever that would have been yeah that would have been really really cool so um Speaking of SVG cons, because this is one of the things that I'm going to be going to, you've done pretty well at the last two. Let's start with that team event where uh, you pulled the normal finish of Ross Merriam, where you make it to the finals with your team, but you were not victorious. Yeah, yeah. Teamed with uh, with Harlan Fuhrer and Dan Jessup, so I, I knew we had a great squad. Very, very strong squad. Yeah. Very strong. Uh, it's like it's like really funny, right? Everyone knows Harlan's a really good player, and people like kind of know Dan Jeff's a great player, but he's one of those people that's great to have on a team because you can literally stick him in any seat and tell him this is the best deck in the format or what you think is the best deck in the format. He's like, okay, and he's just going to play it great. Yeah. And uh, and in particular, he likes playing mid-range decks, and so putting him in Pioneer letting him play Ractus was a, a pretty easy bet. The worst deck of the format, quote-unquote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we got we got to play to our strengths. I, act- I think Harlan has sort of broken how to play team events from the Legacy spot. He just builds this like a blue soup control deck to beat up Delver. It's what he and always does, yeah. Then like he just uses his skill or relies on us to carry the rounds where he plays against not Delver. <laughs> and and it just works. <laughs> because there's so much as a Delver in the legacy metagame at these events. <laughs> uh oh, you know, I've never been happy to be paired into Harlan. Yeah, it, it, have never been close. It, it reminds me of the days when all the legacy events were dominated by the best lands players and their teams because like nobody was prepared for lands. Everybody was over prepared for. Do you remember having to deal? Do you remember having to deal with that? Like it was like the first couple events. Like I was having a very hard time. I would win all my rounds, but the and then it started to turn around, and that's when we were like making all the finals. We're like, yeah, I yeah. finally figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, he and and Harlan did you know stumble early playing against not Delver for most of the first half of day one, and we were all kind of worried that his deck might just suck. And then he just turned it around and stopped losing. <laughs> uh, granted, he only finished about half of his matches. Um, and then, and uh, you know, Dan, uh, you know, just did his normal solid like X four over the course of the event kind of thing. And you know, I I played my wacky deck in modern, and it ended, ended up being good. Uh, unlike Indy, when when Harlan and I played with uh, with Todd, and I played Creativity, but. I think that creativity deck was good in the Luris metagame, and that team open was like two weeks after the Luris ban, and things had shifted enough where it stopped being good. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, like you know, the, the breach deck is really, really good. It's really, really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the biggest part of it is like people like no one's play tested against that deck. Oh yeah, nobody has any idea how to play against it. Yeah, you know, 
they oversideboard for the combo a lot. They don't understand how to disrupt the combo. They think yeah. like any piece of graveyard hate is just going to shut us down. So yeah, I mentioned that like I did some coverage for it, and like you know I didn't get to do you or Corey's matches, but we mentioned it a lot, right? Yeah. And I talked about it, and I was like, yeah, the deck's great because it attacks you from these two very like it's very good at attacking you from two different angles. And you'll see people bring in like rest in peace against them, or like a bunch of like spell pierces and stuff to fight on that angle. And then you just like play your DRC in a freaking uh, in a Ragavan, and like, what are they gonna like? What are they gonna do? You know, like they you just they just get beat up. Yeah, I watched Corey play against a control player who just said like, "Chalice on one, rest in peace, Stony Silence," and he just like played an Urza Saga yeah. and <laughs> beat attack the tar you. out of him. Yeah, attack you for a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, you have no cards left because you just played three pieces of hate for the combo. Okay, two constructs. Let's go. Uh, yeah, and I, I, you know, ever since the the RCQ, I've been tinkering with a lot of things, like the the sort of flex spots in the deck, mm-hmm. and I've never really been happy with any of the tinkers I've made. Like at the team open, I played a main deck prismatic ending. I thought it was kind of awkward having a white source in, uh, like white card in the main. Then I tried playing a DRC in the main last weekend and really didn't like it. I think I've finally landed on Teferi, even though it is yeah. a white card. I like the Teferi, yeah. The, yeah, Teferi does a few things that are really good. Like, one, it's excellent against Is It Murktide, which is a good matchup to just kind of air towards because it's so popular. Uh, you know, just the best card against them. Uh, because Murktide region is the threat that you lose to more than anything else. And obviously, like, you know, they play a bunch of counterspells. Um, it also lets you aggressively use Underworld Breach as a fair card. Because you can, if you were able to, you know, Teferi plus and then untap, you can breach, recast some stuff from your graveyard, and then bounce the breach back to your hand before you before have to sacrifice it. Yeah, uh, which is kind of messed up. And then the other thing, which you know, almost almost cost me the finals last weekend, is that if you have a Teferi in your main, you can actually combo through a dress down, whereas without it, you just can't. <laughs> yeah, because it stops. Like, hope they don't have dress down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could play a grape shot, and I, uh, but there was way too many situations where Oracle wins and grape shot doesn't. I have thought about playing both and not playing the lightning bolt and just having grape shot as your fifth removal spell. But it's also just so important to have cheap removal spells in the early game against all of these decks. So, like, Hammer, Ragavan decks, Ledger Shredder decks, uh, you know, Yawgmoth with their mana creatures. And so, I, I just don't, I don't think it'll end up being worth it, but that's something that is, I think is worth trying, uh, at least. I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Uh, so it's just been a lot of tinkering since that early list, but I've, I finally am at a point where I, I like where I am with those flex spots. I played Flusterstorm over Spell Pierce in the team open, which I think is right because I'd rather just hammer the the Cascade matchups in a team event. And when if I play against things like Control or Tron, which I think is just much less likely, my teammates can can you know potentially carry there. I went back to Spell Pierce for the Sunday event. Uh, I should have had Spell Pierce for the Saturday event. I actually like really didn't like my list for that tournament. It was just the one tournament out of the four where I ran the best. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I really didn't like my, I didn't love my uh, list. This is like the worst one I've ever played. How'd you do? Oh, I won the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's honestly just how it happened. I turned three to so many people, and like, oh, I was more watching pe- when you top deck somebody too, which is oh nice. yeah. I had more turn three kills in this tournament than I have in the other three combined that I've played, and also more games where I'm just getting obliterated and I rip breach to kill them. Mm-hmm. I played uh, Raja Suleiman at the end of day one in the 20k, yeah. uh, and he's playing blue eye control. He had an awesome weekend, top four the first 20k, won the Sunday 10k, mm-hmm. um, and 
Game one, I'm like, you know, trying to attack. He deals with some threats. I play a breach that is lethal. He has the counter spell. A couple of turns later, I have a, another breach. He has the counter spell. I had milled one breach with an emery. And like two or three turns later, I just drew the fourth one and killed him. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. I, you know, I, I, I had like five or six like top decked breaches from a spot where I'm very likely to die. Yeah, very far behind. Yeah, yeah. very far behind the. You know, you saw in the finals after losing game one to the dress down, game uh, two, I had turn three kill through Force of Vigor because I milled Flusterstorm with my, uh, you know, with my Emery. So when you play, when I played Breach, I just had an extra mana and enough cards to escape that as well uh, to stop the Flusterstorm. I turned three to someone through Endurance. Like, I, I had I had turn one Raghavan on the play. They had turn one Flamekin Harbinger. They're playing like full on elementals four color with Kahira, not Yorian. Tutor for the endurance. I play I you know I think I had turn two grinding station or something like that. They go tap land second Harbinger find lightning skeletal. I had played some mana out too, so I only had like two cards in my hand. Might have even been one. I think I had breach and was drawing up to two. So there's no real way for me to play around the skeletal. But I just was able to navigate around the endurance and kill them. <laughs> and uh, skeletal, yeah, I haven't yeah. heard that in a while. There, there. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss when they're playing the deck is like the there is so much flexibility in what breach does. Not just in casting, you know, fair cards, but there's so many ways to play around hate. You know, casting a second breach if you have enough mana so that their besage you or their disenchant doesn't you know disrupt you. Um, one big one that I see a lot of people mess up is, you know, when, when you only have one mana left over, you're often, um, you know, leaving up a mana and milling until you hit an Emery and then casting Emery so you can start generating blue mana with Mox Amber. And then they use a removal spell on the Emery in response to your Mox Amber and you suddenly can't recast it and there's no way for you to get mana for the Oracle. But if you just cast the Mox Amber first, then you're fine. And you can literally beat any amount of removal spells that way as long as you have enough cards in your graveyard, uh, you know, enough cards in your deck. So, you know, just little things like that a lot of people miss. Um, and it's, you know, if there's a lot of people not playing the deck well, then everyone else thinks like, oh, my matchup is fine, I always win. And then they play against someone who isn't making those, you know, small sequencing errors and suddenly, you know, it's a different ball game. Uh, and that's you know not even getting into your ability to just play fair games and win with constructs, win with Raghavan taking over, and, and or win with just Emery looping engineer explosives or graveyard hate things like that. So yeah, I think it's under I think it's like very underestimated how much of a fair game this deck plays. Like I remember when you first sent me the deck, I sent it to Brian Pasoko, and he's like, "What the hell is this?" And I'm like, "I don't know, but I like it." And like I just kept and like. I, I told him I'm like I'm like, dude, it's like an onion. Every time I look at like I look at it, there's another layer to this deck. Like there's another thing going on. Yeah, you know, like, like something crazy here, or there. You know, and I'm like, oh, but it, it could play fair this way, it could play fair this way, and then it has oops, killed you, like randomly too. Yeah, and I think you know most people try to lean too heavily on the combo, um, and and that gets them into trouble. And especially in post board games, you know, I board down on the combo all the time because I know my opponents are bringing in a lot of hate. And rather than try to fight through it, you know, I'm just going to emphasize the fair aspects of the deck and, you know, be better there and just try to make the game about something else. So a lot of the times, you know, obviously I've made a lot of sideboard guides for the deck 
Um, but this is a deck, you know, where that really is just a guide and not not a Bible. And you need to, you know, you, you always need to be reacting to how your opponent is approaching the matchup, understanding that they're they're not going to be able to fight all, you know, every single aspect of your deck very well. You got to figure out which ones that they're most concerned with, and then pivot to something else. Uh, shameless plug while we're talking about that as well. If you wanted to see some of that stuff, you can you can join our Patreon. Yes, and, yes. Uh, it's all it's all in the MTG Rants Patreon. I, I've noticed that. Since you've been putting these results up, we've gotten a lot more followers on our Twitter and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hoping that's uh, turning into a little bit of ching, if you know what I mean. Everybody home, I'm sorry, I had to. It, uh, it has Tannen up. <laughs> okay, good. That's so, awesome. uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, we, that's been a big thing for a lot of like podcasts and content creators. Is like, dude, there weren't tournaments, right? You know, it's why you saw SCG step away from doing content creation with a lot of their people. And like now, yeah, we've got stuff, right? Yeah, we've got tournaments out there. You're putting up results. It's it's sweet to see. I kind of missed it. And the and then the RCQs is giving people a lot of people everywhere tournaments to play every weekend. It's not just the yeah. one SCG. And if you're two thousand miles away from it, you're, you're out of luck. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. everywhere there's these tournaments with things on the line, and people are looking into it again. So yeah, I th- I think content is finally looking like it has a you know a brighter future for the first time in a while. So uh, there's a very small. Yeah, there's a very small chance. There's a there's an RCQ this weekend, like within an hour of me. That's modern. It's the first weekend I've had off where I could like play in one. And there's like part of me that's like I should just like give it my country best, you know, like, <laughs> or whatever. My Kanye give it the old college try. Yeah, give it the old. Co- I, sh- I should, but like, I don't know, man. Like, because like, <laughs> I'd probably want to play your deck, but like I've never even played a turn with it, you know. And I'd have to like go read all your stuff and like i don't know if i can do that you know what i mean like it's just like i gotta see we'll see what happens what is it it's it's tuesday right now right yeah you know like let's see i i don't have much going on this week so i might get pretty bored and be, be totally into it so maybe well watch Corey's done a lot of video content yeah, on the deck was, you can that's what i was gonna do yeah yeah watch those uh you know i didn't want to immediately just be like i'm gonna go watch Corey's stuff and not you know mention you <laughs> yeah. or your stuff obviously you know? you know read my stuff too watch my you can watch my matches um but yeah, the, the the whole weekend was this past weekend was super fun. You know, obviously playing with teams and doing well with Harlan and Dan was great. It just feels you know taking second never feels that good, uh, at least until the check comes, oh, uh, and that more. hasn't happened yet. Tell me more. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, uh, especially because I don't have the the, the team open trophy yet. Uh, but this past weekend was also like super fun. Yet, by the way, because Corey and I just rolled up and both played the deck. And just crushed the tournament. Don't forget about Pete as well, another mm. BCW member. Yeah, and then Pete showed up. Uh, you know, he he couldn't show up for the Friday Saturday twenty k, so he played the other one. And so at a certain point, we were live to win all the events. Like there was yeah. a point where like Pete was playing his top twelve match in the 20, second twenty k, and Corey and I were like both three and one in the the ten k, and we're looking like we might be able to do this. Yeah, and then it kind of you know went yeah. downhill. Corey and I were just dead to the world that Sunday. Like we played very sloppy, lost a lot of games that we could have won otherwise. Uh, just you know, three days is tough. <laughs> yeah, I trust me. I get. I don't know how. Like you know, I've had to do it as a player, and it's rough. And seeing other people do it, like I did commentary for for three days in France, and God, I was just beat. Yeah, you know, like just so so beat, and like. You know, it's different than playing. I'm not saying one's harder than the other one. You know, I get some rounds off. You know, you have to play all the rounds if you win the tournament or whatever. You know, so it's 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 definitely different. You know. Yeah, but they're yeah they're they're both hard. So yeah. And and the weird thing about this one was 
the the 20k started at 1 p.m on friday day one started at one it's like super late but it was only they cut around because it was so small so we only had to play seven rounds which was nice. We got out at a reasonable time, like 8, 8, 15. Yeah, they, they do that usually on Fridays if they can. They try to start at like noon or 1 and stuff because yeah. of travel. It like lets people fly in day of. Yeah, I understand that. But then oh, day- most people most people at home, too. I know you understand. But then day two started at 9, 9 in the morning. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, because we, we did commentary for the second. I did day two of the second 20K. And, you know, I, I did the first five rounds of Joe Lawsett, and my call time was 7.30, you know, because I'm in Central. Joe's West Coast. So when he when he got on the call, the sun wasn't up yet where he was. <laughs> and, like, we were making jokes about it. He's like, it's still dark here. I was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> so we, did, we had a very quick turnaround between day one and day two, and that yeah. ended up, you know, taking a lot out of us. But that used to be, uh, what was it? The Invitationals used to do that, right? Like, it used to be noon on Friday, yeah. 9 a.m. on Saturday. I think it was like a noon and 10, noon 10, which is yeah. what I would like to see. I think that is very doable. I mean, uh, you're only guaranteed eight rounds, so, like, it's it's definitely doable. Yeah. The one nine, one nine was early, was yeah. too much, too quick of a turnaround in my opinion. So I'd, I'd like to see some adjustment there. Yeah, you only had time for like five beers, you know. You only had time for like seven or eight beers, you know. Like <laughs> I was a good boy, Tannen. I'm sure. I'm sure. Corey and I had one margarita and one beer on Friday night. Salt or no salt? Uh, always salt in the room. Okay, I, I like salt. Uh, chill. I mean, uh, iced or not? Uh, on the rocks or not? On, on the rocks, always, never frozen. Okay. I'm not a big margarita fan because I usually use really cheap tequila, and I like good tequila. But well, I mean, you can ask them to use whatever tequila you want. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is true. I guess, uh, I guess I could do it. I haven't been drinking a lot lately, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. I'm, tr- but. I'm trying to re- to think how many drinks we had s- Saturday night <laughs> as a as a uh, as a celebratory thing. I yeah, just, I had something going on Saturday night and had to get up really early. I meant to actually like PayPal you a drink or two and just be like, "Hey, congrats," you know, kind of thing, but. Even though no. it should be the other way around, you should be buying me one. But <laughs> sure, um, where's my four fifty? <laughs> the the cool thing, you know, having having Corey and I, you know, same team, just crushing it the entire way. Corey was five two after day one. I was six one, and then I I three would and got to double draw into top four. Corey four would and then the one seed conceded to him in the last round, so he got in. He actually was the two seed, and I was three. Uh, so we both have the buy, and then meet in the semis. So, you know, we know one of us is in the finals. I very wisely ran much better than he did. Yeah, and I mean, that's like, yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> he, he should just practice that a little more. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. He, d- he did admit that he forgot to bring in the Soul Guide Lantern for game two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's Corey. Don't know why he would tell me that, because now I'm telling everyone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, dude, he doesn't take himself that seriously. Like, he could, you know, oh, you yeah. could make fun of yourself or stuff like that. Like, For sure. A big level up moment for me in my career was, like, admitting when I was wrong and being able to make fun of myself for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Because uh, you're going to make mistakes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, so it was it was very fun having the team there and us all crushing it. Like every single person made the elimination rounds of the twenty k. Corey and I both min cashed the ten k, which is fine. You know, we could have done better. If, you know, we had any amount of mental energy left. Speaking of the team, there's a really funny moment from this weekend, and uh, I actually called and told Rick about this. You know, Rick of BCW, the manager of the team. 
I was like, man, you guys got like some sick free advertising this weekend. He's like, hey, like what happens? Because he was like on vacation with his family. I don't think he even saw the stuff. And I was like, well, not only did like Corey Ross and Pete do really well at the event. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, there's a round where they're playing and uh, the coverage team is Jim and Nicole. So it's Jim and his fiance or white fiance, Nicole, fiance. I think fiance still. Yeah. Jim and his partner, Nicole, (laughs) there we go, uh, are, are doing coverage. And, you know, Jim's an old school member of BCW. Nicole was like the team mom for a while. Uh, yep. Like you you and Corey were like on screen or whatever. And then I'm in chat. Brennan DeCandio is in chat. And then like, so, so it was like all of Team BCW. <laughs> and then Jim just starts talking about the sleeves for a solid like three or four minutes. So me and chat and everybody else are just like, yeah, they're just the best damn sleeves. Also, you were playing with the coolest color and the mulberries and like all this stuff. And like. I was like, you can't pay for this kind of exposure at an event without it just, you know, without it just being like overtly bad because it's just so obvious you're shilling, you know? Yeah. I thought and you were going to bring up the, the moment where uh, we almost presented illegal decks because Corey had hmm. my Emery from Bogovan. Chat was going nuts. <laughs> chat was losing it because they were trying to get like, you know, make sure that didn't happen. Like yeah. Raph was in the thing and he's like, don't let this happen. It's a game loss for Corey or whatever or something. So... How did he get your card in his deck? I didn't see what it, what happened. He it it got exiled by his rog event and he cast so it. So he just ha- oh so he just had it on his side. That's what I was yeah, saying. it was he just on his side of the battlefield and you know we collected our cards at the end of the game and started shuffling for game two. So for people everybody at home is like how does this happen? Ross and Corey are both team team members of BCW. They were playing the same deck in the same sleeves <laughs> yeah. against each other, and a Ragavan hit hit uh, Ross and cast one of the cards, and so it was just in his so. He just had an extra copy of it in his deck while Ross is missing one. And I actually thought y'all were going to miss it for a minute. Oh, yeah. No, uh, you know, Honorok saw chat and, like, you know, stopped us. It's not like we realized it at any point. Yeah. Some, it, it was all chat. Did you, have, <laughs> we, did you have a good laugh or, like, what oh, was yeah. your reaction? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Corey went through his deck. He just handed me the first Emery, figuring it was fine. And I felt it. I was like, this is not the same as my sleeves. Like, we have different wear patterns. Yep. Like, go through and get all of them. And I, it was very easy to figure out which one was mine was because it had a very slight bend to it. Yep. It has the, it's really funny. I almost said something, too, when he just grabbed the first one toss. I was like, that's not Ross's. Like, I, I just know for a fact, I'm like, that's probably not Ross's. Ross has a very distinct curl in his cards. Yeah, I, I've played with you enough. I've lynched you cards enough times to know the, the the it's the way you put them onto the like the field, the way you hold them. You have a very distinctive bend in your cards. Oh yeah, so uh, yeah, we, we got that all squared and, and managed to finish the match. But um, you know, the, at this point, you know, it's been a, an awesome run over five weeks or so, where you know I've cashed every single event I've played. I've won two. I've I've played five because I had two last weekend. Uh, I've played five events with the deck, and I have two firsts, a second, and two min caches. And- yeah, the last time I can remember something like this, uh, like recently, was Harlan with Urza, the Urza deck. Remember the yeah. sorry, the Wurza deck where he went nuts. And like, I still remember because I played with him. Was it with you when I played with him, or who? Yeah, was it was with me. Oh, it was me, you, and him. We played a team event. I know you and I felt bad because Harlan, like, what is it? 8090 day one. He went undefeated day one. Everybody was, we just missed day two because, like, you and I just had a bad day like, yeah. together. And I felt really bad about it. But I remember telling you, like, separately, I was like, he's going to win the next open. And then he just won the next open. Beating me like, in the semifinals. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, that was that was that was academic, man. You just like you ran into an unmovable object at that point. Well, or unstoppable if, if, force. If I had known how his deck worked, it was kind of like what I've been doing with Breach. I just had no idea what his deck was capable of and ran into it multiple times. Where if I had known, I could have played differently and won. And and that's a big part of this Breach deck right now. Like people just don't know how to play against it. Um, and you know, I don't see a lot of people picking it up still. So there's not really an incentive. Which is great for me. I got to keep playing it. I'm a little worried about Leyline Binding. We'll talk about that card on Thursday's show, but yeah, that card's that card's on my list. I'll tell you that. Yeah, um, but it yeah. should probably be on yours. <laughs> oh, it will definitely be. Uh, so a little worried about that card just because it it's the it kind of card everything. that can you know answer Elijah Shredder and answer Underworld Breach. There's not really many cards that do that uh, and do it you know efficiently. So. Yeah, there was there was like a point where I was looking at your deck and how to fight it, and I was like, "Is it time to start abrupticating these fuckers again?" Because like I just want to abrupticate everything in your deck. Yeah. Um, the problem is like abrupticate isn't actually good against Rogovin because exactly, you, like, yeah. you can't. They're going to get a trigger, and that yeah. that's not a good trade. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think the be- if you if you must know, I think the best card, the single best card, you know, before Dominaria United is Dress Down. It can disrupt the combo. It answers constructs. Sometimes it can just shut down Ragavan for a turn, or uh, you know Emery Mill, and it you know it does so while still cantripping, so you're fine. I think Dress Down is excellent, and uh, you know you should be playing more of them in your you know is it and four color decks uh, if you want to match up against me. But the I've just been so impressed by it. Like you know, initially I thought one of its best attributes was just having a very good four color matchup. I, I do still think you have that. But Four Color waned. It was like the fourth or fifth most, most popular deck across last weekend. I actually, the only, you know, Four Color deck, quote-unquote, that I played against was that Elementals deck, which plays completely differently than the Yorian-style lists. Like, I, I didn't play against a Yorian across either tournament. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And, like, was still crushing. I, you know, my one loss on day one was to Burn. I have, I've moved the Shadow Spear to the board, so the Burn matchup is a lot trickier. Like, you just have to combo them game one. Um... But like, I just like, mulliganed four in one of the games. Couldn't find Breach in game one and, and lost that matchup. Um, you know, I, I have personally struggled against Hammer. I, I, Corey hasn't, even though he doesn't play Engineered Explosives, and he should. For some reason, he still beats it, and I never do. He can't, somehow can't beat as a Merktide, but I always beat them. So we're going to have to do some, uh, you know, talking and figuring out those so we can both be on the good side of those matchups. But there's not really, because you have the combo, there's not a matchup that you are dead in the water for. You know, I, th- I think like Team of Rhinos can be tricky because yeah, they have answers for everything you're doing, but they do have to have the right answers for what you've drawn. And I, and I obliterated Rhinos the one time I played against it uh, in the 20k. You know, Engineering Explosives was, is absurd against them. Yeah, especially when you could do it every turn. Yeah, w- once you EE away their Rhinos, they really don't have much of a clock. Right. Uh, and that just gives you time to grind through all of their, you know, interaction. You make them two for one themselves with endurances and, and force negations to stop your combo early. And, uh, you know, then, then hit their pressure with the EE. And usually you're just up two or three cards at that point. Uh, and that's enough to either assemble an aggro win or, fu- you know, reassemble the combo. So I do have a question kind of like piggybacking what we we're talking about earlier. If let's say I do want to play in the modern event this week in the modern RCQ and I, I do go do it. What deck with the least amount of preparation time that I have, what deck do you think I should play? Um I mean 
probably like, is your deck the kind of one you could just pick up. Probably, well, Breach is definitely not a deck that most players can really pick up. Um, at the risk of sounding arrogant, like I, I could, but I don't think I could. Yeah, this is like this deck plays exactly to my strengths. Yeah, no, and, exactly. This is. I actually joked with somebody about this when they were like, "You see Ross one thing." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not really surprised." Whenever decks like this are good, Ross is very good. Yeah, um, it's totally his shit. It's like the same thing. Like there are certain decks that like I think you would need practice with more than I would picking yeah. up cold. Yeah. Uh, I think for your for your skill set, is it Merktide is probably the obvious choice. Yeah, you know, I'm just not sure about that deck. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that good of a deck, but yeah. Um, you know, it has a lot of powerful cards, and it plays that sort of Delver style that you're most comfortable with. Um, I mean, again, like the the decks I like are all in that same vein where they're like very tricky, you know, tactically, and uh, can play a lot of different games. Like, I, I think the Yawgmoth deck is good. If Breach hadn't panned out, I probably would be playing Yogg right now as my deck of choice. Um, and um, oh, I I think Hammer is quite good. But I, I, that's another like you know kind of tricky deck uh, where yeah, I've, you know I've taken draws with that deck before like you know like drawing up hands with it and I never know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, like the, those are the three decks I like, but they all have you know are all tough decks to pick up a, a, and play. Um, you know, four C is is really powerful, but that's I, I would could never even play begin to play that deck. You play way like don't take this wrong way. You play way too methodically for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was a very nice word there. Instead yeah, of slow. Um, what else is there? Um, I mean, like, there's like blue white control, which I think is actually pretty decent, but I'm not a big fan of blue white control, though. I did look at Raja's list from the weekend and his list is a little different than most. And he has a couple subtleties main so he can get a little bit more aggressive. And also I think the pitch cards end up playing well in that deck because you just get to, you know, tap out for your planeswalkers more aggressively. Yeah, and have protection for them a few weeks ago that like I, you know i actually played a decent bit of modern for a few days and like yeah i control su- like surprisingly impressed me it was a version more like this my buddy who i told you was like playing it he easily exoed as our Ar- rcq yeah like, he said yeah I, I was never even close to like losing so i just um, everybody. A, a straightforward deck that i think is good living end yeah that deck's good yeah yeah for yeah sure. that's a good that would be a good deck to just pick up and play like you can just crush people with that deck yeah <laughs> It's it's nut draws like I think that deck might have the best nut draws in the format. Yeah, like there are just games where you just have have grief force negation and turn three like make a bunch of shit and like like nobody ever beats that. There's actually not that much graveyard hate around. Like there was a ton around in the Luris era because everybody needed all these soul guide lanterns and Nile spell bombs and stuff, and they were recurring them. But now there's not decks that like really rely on the graveyard at all. Um, and that's one of the reasons that, the, you know, Jeskai Breach has been well positioned, but like, you know, people aren't really playing Rest in Peace and, and, um, you know, uh, Leyline of the Void. So like some lists of, of rhinos have ley lines in their sideboard. It's mainly like, endur- like endurance is the big one. Um, so, you know, you, you got to worry about endurance, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, that all sounds reasonable. Uh, I'll probably end up just not worrying about it, not play. Let's be real. <laughs> just take a weekend off for for the first time in a while, where I just get to chill and do nothing. But we'll see. You know, um, I, I wouldn't mind playing. Also, it's like an hour drive, and that's like it's a little prohibitive at this point in time in my life. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of extra work. Well, especially like you know, think about this. It's gonna be an hour to drive there. 
about two hours to O2 real fast and drive, and then another hour to drive home. Like, <laughs> You'll still have the rest of your evening. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But yeah, whatever. Tannen. But just think about this, Tannen. Atlanta is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm thinking about going no matter what. Okay. But going and playing would be even better. Yeah, I mean, like, shrug. It's 130K, you know? Tannen. Uh, that, that's a lot. Yeah. But, yeah. I will say this. I was talking to somebody the other day. It's going to feel weird, and I don't want to sound gatekeepy, but, like, is this being, like, considered a quote-unquote pro tour? No, I don't think uh, yeah. anyone would consider this at the level of a pro tour. The, yeah. But I would Someone was saying that the other day. I would consider this at the level of, like, a very hard Grand Prix. Yeah, see, that's that's more like what I try. And, again, I'm not trying to be gatekeepy or anything. Like, you know, back in my day, the Pro Tours were harder or whatever. You yeah. Know, whatever. Like, I'm just saying, like, someone the other day was, like, saying, oh, the Pro Tour, the Pro Tour, Pro Tour. And I'm like, oh, I thought we didn't have that yet. Like, I thought we were getting something else possibly different. I don't I don't know. It's like, also, it's just like, you know, what are we calling these things? Like, I don't even know. Honestly, I don't care. If you win it, you're still very deserving. It's a very hard tournament. You should be very proud of it. Yeah. Know? Not trying to take that away from anybody, so please don't think that's me doing that at all, because I'm not. Yeah, there, there's no point in trying to make these comparisons. Okay, and that, It doesn't end well. No, exactly, all right? Like, yeah, not only am I not trying to do that, I'm not trying to offend anybody, I'm not trying to do it. I was just like, legit, like, someone was calling it a pro tour, and I was like, wait, what exactly, what event are you talking about? Like, I need to, I need confirmation for me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So... Uh, what else were we supposed to talk about today? Uh, I think we covered the the big things. Like, I, you know, it, it's weird because normally I would you know talk more about the deck and all the choices, but I've done that so often. You know, like with all the other tournaments lot, I've yeah. played. You know, I I think we've I like I said I've gotten to the point where I like the like fine tune adjustments that I've made. If, if you look at my Sunday list, I don't know if that's probably not even posted because I didn't well, like I got like twenty something, um, but. Essentially, I, I did post it in the Discord before the tournament, um, in the uh, you know Patreon only section of our Discord. Um, but you know, I took a uh, I took the DRC out. I played a Teferi in the main, um, and really liked that. Got, definitely going to keep that going forward. I like having the Shadow Spear on the board. I basically only bring it in against Burn and like Yogmoth, and Corey doesn't even like it there. Uh, I I do. I think that most of the time you have to board pretty heavily to stop their combo. And they also have a bunch of interaction for yours. So I think the games is like, you're, you're going to have to attack them to win a lot of games because both combos get shut down and it's so much faster to attack them down through all their undying jump blockers. When you have access to shadow sphere. Um, what I think Corey and I have finally given up on the Urza that has been sitting in the sideboard forever. It barely ever comes in. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of questions about that in our, our Patreon. Yeah, about that card if, if, if Rakdos Scam kept like going up in numbers and got really big, the Urza would be very good in that matchup. Um, you just want like your you want the top of your deck to be juiced in a matchup like that, uh, and Urza certainly does that. Um, I really like the two Ether Gusts. Um, I think Corey only played one, you know, so I thought it was very fitting that. Corey only played one. I beat him in the semis, then ended the tournament casting the second copy in game three of the finals. Um, you know, they, they I think it's great against four color. I think it's great against creativity. I've somehow played against Scapeshift like two or three times over this run. Um, so I think three actually seems unlikely, but you know, 
Uh, obviously good there, but creativity has been picking up a lot recently. Uh, so creativity, four color, and I also like it against Yogg. Corey doesn't. Um, I think, you know, it's very good against Wall, good against Endurance, good against Force of Vigor, uh, and then good against their search cards, and that's enough for me. Uh, oh, and Grist. Um, so it, it's basically good against their entire deck other than Yawgmoth. Uh, and, and then, I mean, the actual literal card Yawgmoth, not just the tutors for it. Right. Um, so I, I've really liked two copies. I don't really see them in other people's lists. Um, I think you should play at least one EE in your sideboard. The second is a consideration mainly for Rhinos and Hammer. Um, I'm down to one piece of Graveyard Hate in the board. Um, there's just not a lot of Graveyard decks, and you're, tutor you're usually just tutoring for one. Um, so if I only have to play one, I've been playing the Soul Guide Lantern, because the Living End decks often have Leyland of Sanctity in their board uh, to stop Tormod Script and other effects, so I'll just take the one that is reliable against that. Um, uh, and then, uh, you know, one of the reasons I, I like the main deck to fairy is you're able to then make room for a couple mystical disputes. Corey's been playing three, which I think is excessive. Um, I, I actually don't like playing that many counter spells in a deck like this because right. they're so proactive. You know, there are a lot of turns where you don't want to be, you know, leaving up mana. But ultimately what I've decided is that mystical dispute is just the best one for one answer for a Merktide Regent. Uh, and, you know, even if there were a better one-for-one -one answer that was, you know, could answer an on-board Merktide region, I'd play it. Path to Exile is not the answer. In case you're thinking that, that card is unplayable. Um, but Mystical Dispute is... So I like having a couple just to shore up that matchup. Because Merktide can be tricky. And it comes in against, like, Control, and uh, it's good. It, it can be good against Four Color. I don't know how good it is. I think Corey does bring them in. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, that's something to figure out. I think w one of my r remaining questions to answer with the deck is, um, is it potentially worth it to play a Grape Shot, not over the Oracle, but over the one Lightning Bolt I have in the main? Uh, sort of as the fifth removal spell. Uh, I think I talked about this earlier. I'm getting back to it now, but... Um, you know, there are things that Grape Shot does that Oracle doesn't, like beat Dress Down... Um, it opens up more turn two kills. Like if you have, if you just have Ragavan Mox, two combo pieces, you know, Station uh, Breach, and your Ragavan connects, that's a turn two kill if Grape Shot's in your deck because you're able to just generate a bunch of red mana and and Grape Shot them, um, you know, f for uh, for enough. Yeah, you makes usually sense. I guess. <clears throat> what if you have two fetch land? Well, if you have two fetch lands, do you have enough cards in your graveyard to play Grape Shot twice? Let's say you that's, have one. That's the question for you and not for me. Yeah, and you're on the draw. I don't like. It's a it's a question of how many times you're actually. I guess you're casting both combo pieces. Yeah, you're fine because you're you're casting both combo pieces that turn too. So let's say even if you're on the draw and you know you're up to nine cards, so fifty one in deck. Uh, that only lets you cast the Mox Amber sixteen times and then the Grape Shot once. So that's seventeen. But then you get eighteen, nineteen from the two combo pieces. And Ragavan connected for two, um, so you know you're you're fine there. Um, so it, it does do that, which can be nice. And then you know sometimes Grape Shot will just kill two things. Like you'll you'll have a turn where you'll cast three or four spells and Grape Shot for four or five, kill two creatures. It, it can be good, but 
I do end up thinking that just having it in my hand and facing down a turn one threat, whether it's a Raghavan or an Esper Sentinel or anything like that, it's just going to end up, you know, being more relevant. Um, so that's really like, that's really it. I think the deck, uh, you know, it's taken a while to tune the last few slots, but I, I think we've gotten there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious you've pretty much gotten there, right? Like, obviously, like, <clears throat> you still play around on the edges, make sure you're you're staying ahead of stuff because people are going to start catching up to you, but the results speak for themselves. I don't think we need to convince people on the deck anymore. Yeah, that the, yeah, you're right. That's, that's the most important thing now is, you know, we staying had such ahead. a big weekend yeah. from two high-profile players, um you know three with and Pete. you and you uh, and um and you know th- there should be some ripple effects from this obviously dmu complicates that um but we'll we'll see how people react if if we start seeing results from uh, from other people oh I, I i left out jesse too so really four um yeah you know yeah can't forget yeah uh I, and uh, we'll, we'll see if other people start picking it up and winning with the deck uh, you know, if you know, we do see more main deck dress downs, more graveyard hate, uh, just you know, more things that are, are good against us. Um, you know, graveyard hate isn't even like you know awesome. It shuts down the combo and Emery, and uh, you know that's generally good. But if you draw too much of it, then you know we'll draw out of it. And that's one of the things that that Ledger Shredder is so good at, and one of the reasons why I like it, you, you know, more than than DRC. Um, you know, when your opponent does play those hate cards, you can filter away the bad cards that are now shut down, and now your opponent is the one who is behind on card advantage. They've now effectively played a rest in peace that doesn't do anything. Uh, I actually had that come up in my top eight match, the quarterfinals of the 20k against um, against the Elementals opponent. They played an Alpine Moon in game two after I turned three of them in game one, and I had two Sagas in my hand. I was really worried. But I played a turn two Ledger Shredder and it lived, and I was able to just loot those sagas away into yeah. other cards, and then they just had an Alpine Moon that sat there doing nothing. Ledger and, Shredder does some amazing heavy carrying in this deck. Yeah, it, it, and you know, I I think if you were to if you were to play the like the Mirror game one, you would rather have DRC. Like you know, DRC is better just against a Goldfish. Yeah, just the quickness. Yeah. Yeah, um, but Ledger Shredder helps you so much against interaction. Uh, right. <laughs> With, with that card selection, it, it is huge. Uh, I did want to make sure that we do mention a couple things before we go for the week, uh, for the week, for the the next few days, because we are going to you know do a second episode here. If you know time permitting, we'll get we'll get it out as soon as possible. Again, sorry, Brent. Want to make sure that we talk about our lovely sponsor first. We have another announcement after this. You definitely want to hear, but uh, make sure you check out Barrister and Man, BarristerandMan dot com. That's with two ends. Um, lots of cool stuff coming up in their quarter four release of 2022, so very, very soon. I actually have some of this pulled up right now. They have a bunch of new uh, scents coming up for everything, for their uh, soaps, aftershave splash, aftershave balms, bath soaps, all the, all the stuff. The one that I'm looking forward to after reading the descriptions, I don't know if you've seen this yet, Ross, one of them is Leviathan. It's uh, characterized as Russian leather, coffee, sandalwood, and cedar. I'm in. Yeah, like... You were you were in off the first word, right? Just yeah. Question. yeah, you're like you're done. I'm in. There's there's a couple other ones, and then there's one coming out in October that they're going to start doing pre-orders for, and this one is just labeled as the Four Horsemen. And I'm like, all right, you you probably got me just on the name alone. This this sounds great, but um, it's going to be war, famine, plague, and death, and then like, so war is hot metal, gunpowder, citrus, and moss. That sounds interesting. 
Uh, Interesting. I'm, dust. I'm worried about the gunpowder part, but everything else yeah, I like. Yeah, it might not be too strong or anything. Okay, so yeah. famine is dust, hunger, citrus... I don't know why it says hunger. Citrus, resins, and moss. I'm in for that. Plague is lavender, herbs, citrus, resins, and moss. In for that. And death is citrus, resins, and moss. Okay. I might just like... I'd be like... He said there's samples available, too, so I might just be like, hey, can you give me a sample of all of them? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, w- I want samples, too. I, I want to be able to tell people mm-hmm. about them. Yeah, there's there's a couple other things in here as well. There's one coming out called Smoking Bishop, which is like wine, orange, grapefruit, nutmeg, cinnamon, and tobacco. That I'm hundred percent in for. Yeah, that's in for November, and that sounds like a really good holiday kind of thing. Like that's like, can you imagine smelling like this around the holidays of like Thanksgiving and Christmas? Like, bruh, your scent's gonna be like on point. Yeah, you know, at that time and stuff. So make sure you check them out at barristerandman.com. What's the what's the code, Russ? MTG Rants two zero two two. Is that the new one? I think so. Am I yeah, wrong? It's all in ca- it's all, uh, I'm, I'm scrolling back to make sure. It's all in capital letters. I remember that now, too. Uh, and if this is your first order with them, you'll get 15% off. You only get that off your first order, but it's also the first time you use this code. So if you've if you've been with Barrister Man in the past and you haven't used the newer code, this one will get you 15% off of your first order. Make sure you check out all their stuff. Uh, I think these make great gifts for this time of year. We're at that time of year where... Look, I need to start doing shopping soon because I'm the kind of person, if I don't do it now, I wait till the last minute. <laughs> yeah. And I'm stocked up. And then everybody's going to be like, why do you always keep giving me all this stuff? And I'm like, because it's great, you know? <laughs> so make sure you check out their stuff. Also, another cool thing, uh, you know, mentioned earlier in the show, hopefully we got a couple of new extra Patreons because Brent actually messaged me this morning. He's talked to England Customs. He got 200 more tokens of the show made, and he's going to have them sent out uh, and mailed to the Patreons very soon. So Awesome. If you've talked to him before about like how to get something shipped to you, he's probably already got your information. If not, uh, Brent will probably be uh, taking care of that very, very soon. So some stuff is going to be coming out for y'all. Also, he said he's going to ship some to me and you so we can uh, you know, start signing some ahead of time maybe a little bit and have some ready for whenever at events. We can start handing them yeah. out. And so, I, I, I have the old times. tokens with me at events. So if you see yeah. me at, at an event and want some tokens, just come up to me. Yeah, and we're going to try to get some more stuff for our Patreons in the future. I know we've... A little more remiss with it in the last like year or two, but you know we've got more stuff. You had, excuse me, sorry, I had uh, some energy drink right before this, and it's like it's getting to me. Uh, I know you, uh, you know, you've been putting out a lot of content as well, and I'm going to try to carry my weight as much as I can on that side in the future. So uh, as soon as I start playing competitively again, which which should happen very soon, I'm just this is the super busy part of the year for me. You know, I had I had that pro tour a week ago. I've got nationals in two weeks, and then a few weeks after that, I've got I've got worlds and the formats can drastically change in between all of these events. Like, so the, I, I told you how the game works. Like, uh, we had a deck hit Living Legend after the Pro Tour, meaning yeah. that, that hero is just not legal anymore. They yeah, I, I live with Chris, so I hear about these things now. Yeah, there you go. So, so yeah, so the format changes then. And then um, I think between Nationals and Worlds, there's a very good chance that something else changes. I think uh, at least one other hero will probably hit Living Legend. And then not only that, I think if one of them, you know, if something uh, doesn't, they'll do something to change the format up a little bit. Also, Worlds is going to be a three-format event, which is sweet. We're going to have our first big-time competitive foray into one of the other events, so I'm very interested in that. Which, again, makes my job harder, but I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I have to, I have to make sure I, I understand a third format for this as well. Because that one gets, you know, stuff used in it that doesn't get used in the other one. So I'm like, all right, I have to go learn a few hundred other cards now. Again, not a complaint, just saying. It's like, all right, more homework. But thankfully, the, the limited part of it is getting reused, so I don't have to you know, learn anything else for that kind of stuff. So 
Um, Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, see more from you, where would they go? Uh, you should first uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunteds. Uh, that's the best place to you know keep abreast of all of my magic comings and goings. Uh, then there is, of course, the MTG Rants Patreon, where I've been posting a lot of content recently. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, f- uh, join us there. I don't know what verb I'm supposed to use. Um, and then finally, my uh, Twitch channel, which I know I've, I've wanted to bring back, you know, s- sooner. I've gotten busy now traveling. I've got a few weeks off here. Um, you know, I've got two weeks completely off. And a week where I'm just doing coverage for Mana Traders with uh, with Brad that I'm doing the September event because Corey's going to be uh, out of town. Um, so no traveling for me for three weeks here. Uh, that should give me ample time to uh, get everything, you know, squared away. Um, so for now, give me a follow on Twitch. Uh, you know, that will be sufficient. I'm Ross underscore Miriam there. And you'll be notified uh, when I start doing some streaming again. I promise it's, it's happening soon. Hashtag soon, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Tan and Grace. It's usually the best place to find me and keep up to date on what I've got going on. You know, a lot of casting going on lately, and uh, obviously the show. And I'm going to be getting it back into like I fully expect that if I don't do too much with competitive magic for the rest of the year, like I, I don't see myself jumping too far into it unless something really you know gets me going. Like there's some deck, and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I'm not gonna lie, I'm actually not. I'm, I'm uh, hopefully standard is kind of good because I'm, I'm kind of wanting because like, we're gonna have to play standard next year like it, it's coming back the, the mana traders event this month is standard so yes. I, I will know about it <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll let you and, know and while it looks like there might not be a lot of diversity at least in the first couple of days of what the standard format looks like it looks like it's a mono black or mono black variations all, all day all the time we'll see what happens like obviously you know people are going to find some stuff in between that and uh, I I don't know I'm, I'm hoping you know we, we're, we're out of the fire design so, like, I'm hoping that it's going to be a lot better and can maybe make somewhat of a comeback because I've actually enjoyed it a lot in my career. It's probably been the format that I've played the most in my career. So, looking forward to maybe having that come back. And then for next year, you might see more of me. I'll say one thing. I haven't seen a lot of diversity in the opening weeks of Standard, but... That's not normal, though. I think the, the gameplay is what Standard should be. There's yeah, a lot of just, like, mid-range, on-board, back-and-forth, you yeah. know curving from two to five kind of yeah. magic along with some aggressive decks. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that usually like doesn't see play in other formats. And it, you know, pr- produces a lot of good game gameplay, a lot of back and forth gameplay. So um, I'm optimistic right now. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you like that yourself, uh, we're gonna be talking about that more in the future, especially next week's episode. We're gonna be talking about uh, the new set and all the new cards that come out, what we think is going to be good, what we think is going to be playable and uh, not just for Standard, but for Pioneer and Modern and all of our top eight cards. I got to say this, they're getting harder and harder to do every time because the fact that I feel like every time we do a top eight episode, there's a new format to take into consideration. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm looking forward to this one. So uh, everybody at home, thanks for listening, and we'll see you all very soon for a new episode. So thanks for the patience, and uh, stick with us. We love you each, and we'll see you all soon.